Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. Quick, but also, our internet is down in the church for some reason. Um, it was working fine, and then I guess storm, rain, whatever, so we have no internet. So we're not streaming this. We are recording it, and I'll upload it later uh, to all of our websites and all that stuff. But we're going to continue walking through uh, the book of Philemon. Um, uh, and the book of Philemon, we said last week really quick, really all about forgiveness for all and unity for all. Uh, and Philemon is this guy, wealthy homeowner, huge home, had a church meeting in his house. They guesstimate some 30 to 50 people meeting in his house. Uh, and he had owned slaves, which we talked about last week. Slave ownership was a little bit different than what we call today. It was more about economics and indentured servitude than it was about race and uh, putting your culture above another culture. Um, and he had a slave named Onesimus who escaped. Onesimus escaped, hooked up with Paul, became a Christ follower. Paul's like, you got to go back and make this right. Onesimus goes back, holding this letter from Paul. Uh, and um, also, I looked this up, uh, the earliest book of Philemon, talking about like Bible book, that they found was from 250 A.D. And it pretty much matches, other than maybe some punctuational issues, it matches what we have in our Bibles today. So we know that this is accurate, we know this is God's word, and we know this is what God wanted. And last week we talked about Philemon and how he, you know, would be on his journey, what it would look like for him to forgive Onesimus because he was just going along, minding his business. All of a sudden, uh, this slave, Onesimus, who owed him money, which is probably why uh, Onesimus became a slave, um, left. So now Philemon's left with, not only am I not going to get back the money you owe me, uh, it's likely that the job that he was doing, now I've got to go get someone else to fill that job. So huge encumbrance on him. We said in order to forgive someone, uh, first acknowledge that there is a wrong. Yes, someone did wrong you. Someone did do something wrong. Uh, it's not an individual playing the victim like everybody, oh, oh, woeful me. Yeah, someone actually hurt me. They lied to me. They cheated on me. They, they uh, physically abused me, sexually abused me. Uh, they stole from me. They robbed me. They, uh, you know, broke the relationship, broke my trust. There was a legitimate issue there. Acknowledge, yeah, that happened, but also acknowledge it's not my job to chase them down and make them pay. Yes, we're a society that we want justice, but it's not our job to ultimately judge them. That's God's job. And trust that, you know, especially if you're a Christ follower, God will do that because he says he's going to do that in, that in his word. So I've, I've released myself from that. I don't have to chase them down and make sure they're, they're going to pay. But also, all the wrong, the hurt, the, the anger, the frustration that we're still holding on, we've got to give that over to God. But then God says, you know, he'll take every burden that we have, but then we've got to take his yoke on, which means we've got to love one another. We've got to be there for one another, and we've got to be able to look at that person the same way God does. God looks at people in one of two ways. One, you're a Christ follower. I love you. You're my child. You're my family. Two, you're not a Christ follower. I love you. I want you to be in my family. That's it. There is no other way that God looks at people. 
He either looks at them as, hey, you're my family and I love you, you're my child, or I want you to be my family. I love you. I want you to be my child. So we've got to take that on and be able to look at people the same way that Jesus does. But there's a flip side to this, right? Because before Paul could write the letter to Philemon saying, hey, Philemon, I need you to forgive Onesimus, he had to have a conversation with Onesimus and say, you know what? You need to go back and make this right. There was no way he could force Onesimus to go back because Onesimus had already left and escaped, so he would have just left and then ran away again. So he had to come to a place where he was like, Onesimus, man, dude, you've got to go back and make this right. You've got to confront the wrongs that you did, and you have to literally ask for forgiveness, right? You have to go up and acknowledge asking for forgiveness. Now, here's the thing. Asking for forgiveness can be even harder than extending forgiveness. Because if I'm asking for forgiveness, what am I admitting? It's my fault. I screwed up. I lied. I cheated. I hurt you. Uh, I stole this. I broke that. Uh, I, I betrayed your trust. I'm the one who did something wrong. So it can be even harder to do that. So we're going to jump in uh, and quickly walk through uh, the book of Philemon. Uh, there's only a couple of verses left that we didn't already cover. So we'll turn to Philemon. And we're going to start off in verse 12. Uh, kind of backtracking because we covered some of this last week. Verse 12, he says, I'm sending him. This is Paul saying, I'm sending him, Onesimus, who is my very heart, back to you, back to Philemon. I would have liked to keep him with me so he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. I didn't want to manipulate you. I didn't want to coerce you. I just wanted to say, hey, will you forgive this guy? Right? And he says, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good because then you would have had this relationship with him as long as he was paying off the debt. Now you have a relationship with him for all eternity because he's a brother in Christ. He says, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. And again, he's reiterating that concept of, hey, don't look at him as below you, as below your station, as separated by finance, as separated by race or class. Look at him as a brother in Christ, unity for all, right? He says, he's very dearer to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man, as a man who was paying off a debt, and as a brother in the Lord. He says, so if you consider me a partner, and he says that because Philemon, wealthy guy, uh, was also funding a lot of Paul's missionary work. So he says, if you consider me a partner, excuse me, welcome him as you would welcome me. And again, he's reiterating, hey, you see this guy now as not just former slave or employee who owed a debt below your financial class, but now you're going to look at him as someone who has hurt you, betrayed your trust, and he was untrustworthy. But Paul is saying, he's a Christian now. So you have to look at him the same way you look at me. And that's a message for all of us, because if someone comes in and says, hey, someone walks in the church and they're like, yeah, I committed my life to Christ, or this, that, or the other, uh, we tend to look at people differently. I was talking to some pastors online, and, and they're still not just here, not just in this area, all over the place. Racial separation in the church class separation in the church. People looking at one another differently because of their cultural differences in the church. And Jesus doesn't leave any room for that. 
Paul was saying, hey, no matter what you thought of him before, he's a Christ follower now. You got to look at him the exact same way that you look at me. He says, so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. And here's the key. He says, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. And the reason he's saying that, not meaning if he has done you any wrong or owes you the debt. He still owed the debt. But it's believed that in order to fund his escape, that Onesimus stole from Philemon. He probably grabbed something valuable and sold it in order to have enough money to get away. And Paul is saying, hey, if he owes you that or he wronged you, charge it to me. We're going to talk more about that on Easter. But then he says this, and he uses very specific language. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. And he says, you owe me your very self because it's believed that Philemon became a Christ follower because of Paul. It's believed that there's a guy by the name of Epaphras who's mentioned, he was mentioned in a couple of verses, who kind of started the churches in those areas. And that it was because of Paul's influence and that Paul helped him get started. And then Philemon committed his life to Christ. But then he says, and he uses very specific language, and the language we have doesn't match the actual Greek. He says, I will pay it back. In the Greek, it's two words. Ego, meaning I, and then it's another phrase, meaning pay it. And he uses that language because it's very specific legal language that you would see if you were agreeing to pay a loan. And there's a reason he says, I'm writing this in my own hand. Because he is turning this letter into a promissory note. Anything that he owes you, if he stole a vase and it cost $100, whatever he stole, I will pay it back. It will be equivalent when you sign a loan uh, and you say, I the or you sign a mortgage, I don't know what the verbiage is, but when you sign on that line, you're agreeing to pay. Whenever you go to the restaurant and you sign on that line, it says a bunch of verbiage about uh, one's the merchant and one's the customer or whatever verbiage, and you sign on that line, you're agreeing. They can charge you whatever they have listed there. And that phrase to use, not just in Rome, but in that entire culture at that time, was legal language that you would use if you were saying, I am going to pay this debt. I'm going to go and buy a new car. I wish I was. I'm going to go buy a new car. I agree, take out a loan. I will pay it back. I'm going to go sign for a mortgage. I will pay it back. Whenever Paul, for some reason, was thinking in his head, hey, I'm going to send it back, and he needs to make this right, here's where I'm going to step in, and I'm going to say, I, Paul, I'm writing this in my own hand, I, Paul, will pay it back. I'm going to take on that debt for him. Then he says, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And his obedience is it to Paul. Again, it's to what God says about forgiveness. And Paul wrote the same thing to the church in Colossians. And he wrote these letters right around the same time, and I don't mean within weeks, I mean within like days or probably that day, because they both went out at the same time, and he says to the church in Colossians, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, and humility again. That, 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 again, that aspect of clothing yourself uh, so that when people look at you and interact with you, they interact with a Christ-like personality, because if you're a Christian, that's what's supposed to happen. We're not supposed to respond out of the anger that Floyd would no normally respond out of. We respond out of the love 
that Christ gives us through his Holy Spirit. He says that gentleness and that patience and bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And we read throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, God said, how many times must I forgive someone? He says seven times, 70 times, not a number, but a concept of over and over again. They wronged me again. I'm going to forgive them again. They did it again. I'm going to forgive them again. Now, at some point, you may not put yourself in that same situation, but the idea is to be reconciled to one another. And he says, and one more thing, verse 22, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, again, who believed has started the church, uh, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus sends you greetings, and so do Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke in the book of Acts, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. His dying request, because he didn't go see him again, he was killed. But his dying request, last letter to his friend is, hey, forgive this guy. And Onesimus, who did the wrong, goes back, carrying the letter, knocks on the door, and then Philemon opens the door, and there's Onesimus. Guy who owes him money but ran out on it. Guy who stole money from him in order to run away. He's like, here's this letter. How you doing? And yeah, what, what would you do? So here's the thing. Uh, again, we talked about Philemon, but there's two parts to forgiveness. There's one thing to extend it to someone, but there's also the part where you have to ask for forgiveness. Now, here's the thing. According to Roman law, Paul really had no choice but he could have, he had no choice but to send Onesimus back. Even if he wanted him to stay, by Roman law, if there was an escaped slave, you had to send them back. The Roman law was pretty clear. Um, sorry, I'm skipping through a bunch of verses. I'm jumping around. Uh, it required that they be sent back. And there were like stiff penalties. I don't know for a fact that there was jail time. But stiff penalties because, again, that was their economy, and it was like you were stealing from them, too, because this person owed them money. They ran out. If you didn't send them back and you harbored them, you were stealing from them, too. You were keeping them from getting their money. That hurt their economy, right? Capitalism at its best. But according to Old Testament law, you were not required to send them back. You were required to protect them and keep them safe. Uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, where Moses is kind of saying, thus saith the Lord, and giving it to the people of Israel while they were in the desert, right before they crossed into the promised land, says this, verse, uh, chapter 23, if a slave has escaped from his master and taken refuge with you, you are not to hand them back to his master. Allow him to stay with you. In whichever place suits him best among your settlements, do not mistreat him. This is a complete Jewish Bible version. This is their understanding of God's law. Is if a slave escapes and he comes into the encampment of Israel, they were supposed to look at him like God looks at him and welcome him and protect him and care for him the same way if a traveling salesman came through or if uh, someone visiting family came through. Because God's viewpoint was, hey, they're an individual just like you. I love them just like you. But also a lot of theologians believe, and I kind of believe this too, because God knew that even though from God's perspective, slavery was about paying the debt and money, we live in a world where a lot of people, slavery was about brutality and racism and 
hatred and classism and I'm better than you because you don't make enough money and you have to work for me. And if people ended up running away from that, God was like, so be it. So here's Paul in this situation as a Roman citizen, which he was required by law. I'm a good citizen. Got to send them back. But also a citizen of the kingdom of God, which he was very learned in the Old Testament law, who knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'm supposed to protect this guy and keep this man. So he does the best thing possible. He shares the gospel with this guy. And then he becomes a follower of Christ and of his own free will decides, I need to go back. And I need to ask for forgiveness. And when you go back to someone who you wronged and you ask for forgiveness, it makes you vulnerable because they could say, yes, I forgive you. I'm so glad you admitted you were wrong. Or they could smack you in your face and say, it's your fault. I can never forgive you for what you did. You're in a vulnerable position. So last week we talked about the steps to extending forgiveness. This week I wanted to talk about the steps for asking forgiveness. Step one is acknowledging. I was talking to someone earlier today. Acknowledge that it's your fault. I did this. I'm the one who lied. I'm the one who cheated. I'm the one who broke your trust. I'm the one who stole. I'm the one who robbed you. I'm the one who, you know, manipulated the situation. Whatever it is, acknowledge that you did the wrong. And then acknowledge that, yeah, if you're a Christian, that's specifically who, you know, Paul is talking to. If you're a Christian, that wrong is going to be judged by God. God's going to look at that thing that you did. And, 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 I'm, I'm, I want to weigh my words carefully. It's not that it's going to be weighted more, but it seems like it is because if you're a Christian, you kind of know when you lied, when you stole, when you cheated, yeah, that was wrong. You kind of know when you backstabbed someone, when you betrayed their trust, yeah, that was wrong. So you have to acknowledge that God is going to judge it, but you also have to do something else. So uh, let me put up this verse, especially because we're in Holy Week. And many of you are familiar with this passage of scripture. Jesus is on the cross. He's there with multiple thieves. And one of the criminals hanging there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Now, when he says this, he's not saying, hey, spiritually save me. Because the Messiah was a term they used for the next king of Israel, a son of David, God's son, who would be the king of Israel and take them out from under Roman rule. So it's kind of like if you said, hey, aren't you the person who was newly elected governor, pardon me and pardon yourself. That's what they were asking for. Pardon us. You are supposedly, and they were insulting him, because obviously he's hanging on the cross. They were insulting him saying, aren't you the one who can pardon us? Save us. Save yourself. Why aren't you able to do that if you're the Messiah, the next ruler, the next king? But then one of the thieves takes it a step further into a religious place. The other one spoke up and rebuked the first saying, have you no fear of God? Realizing, hey, this is not just a, a physical get us down from the cross thing. Our very souls are at stake. He says, have you no fear of God? You're getting the same punishment as he is. Ours is only fair. We're getting what we deserve for what we did. We were wrong. We did rob. We did steal. The service that we're getting is what we deserve. But this man did nothing wrong. And then here's the thing, he makes that ask. And he says, Yeshua, or Jesus, remember me when you come as king. 
and Yeshua, or Jesus said to him, yes, I promise that you will be with me today in Gan Eden, complete Jewish Bible version, paradise. So yeah, he makes the ask. He acknowledges that God is going to judge me. I'm not just going to pay the physical consequence, but God is going to judge me for the wrong that I did. So we've got to make that big ask mean, yes, I need to ask God to forgive me, but then we need to take it to another place and ask the individual to forgive us. We've got to be like Onesimus and go up to the door, knock on the door, person who's wrong, and say, hey, I need to make this right. And Jesus says, so if when you're offering your gift at the altar, you there remember that your brother has any grievous against you, leave your gift at the altar and go first make peace with your brother and then come back and present your gift. God is not as interested in, hey, yes, ask God for forgiveness, but the big ask that you need to do is you need to go make it right with the person that you hurt. We've got to go ask them to forgive us. Not because it's going to make me feel better, but because God acknowledges it's going to make all things right. So I'm going to close uh, in prayer, and then, uh, yeah, I think that we're going to be done. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. God, we pray that if there are people out there, just like we just read, who have grievances against us, or who we've hurt, or who we've wronged, or whose trust we betrayed, that you would put it on our hearts to make things right. That we wouldn't just come into church thinking, yes, I'm here to praise and to worship the creator of the universe and give thanks for my relationship with him and my salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, while I'm still at odds with the physical people in our circles of influence, either a coworker or a boss or a family member or a neighbor. We pray that you would put it on our hearts to go and, just as your word says, to kind of make things right. Acknowledge that we wronged them. Acknowledge that in the sight of God that we need to make it right and ask for your forgiveness. But as we just read, even before we do that, that we would go to them, as vulnerable as it may make us, and ask for their forgiveness as well. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Bring it all to the table. It's nothing he ain't seen before. For all your sins, all your sorrow, and your sadness, there's a Savior and He calls. Bring it all. To the table. God, we pray that again this holy week, all those people who are dealing with anything and seeking you would find you and bring just all their issues to the table. Lay it out before you. Receive the forgiveness offered by your son, Jesus Christ. Experience just your love and goodness and grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name.